your fellow redeemed. We consider briefly our reading from Ephesians chapter 2. And as we begin, there's one topic that I'm sure you and I have thought about and talked about, and um, I know I've talked about it in sermons a little bit, and we've probably included it in a confession of faith at some point or some time. And that's the basic Christian understanding, the way the Bible describes it, of who you are. Even in theology, we would call this segment anthropology, the study of man, the study of people. Who are you? And you might start to unravel that a little bit. Well, you know, we're, we're descended from Adam and Eve. Um, you know, I'm sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Um, but a little bit more. And it's so simple that we wouldn't even think about it, that you and I are, are body and soul. We are one person, body and soul. And we don't, have, we don't have anything that is ununited about that. That who you think you are in your person and who, um, how you live out your life in your body, they are absolutely united. And so even the, the way that God talks about it in 1 John and, uh, and 2 John, that the things we, we do in the body or don't do in the body do have spiritual ramifications because we are body and soul. And that is such a basic understanding that, yes, it comes into play like, um, like yesterday when we had a memorial service for Joe Rupp. And when it comes to the passing of a Christian, of a loved one, that we understand that this person who is body and soul, at one point will have that body and soul separate, where the body is, is buried or, um, or cremated and, and taken care of here. And the soul departs to be with God forever in heaven. That understanding of how we live our lives as a creature of God who is both body and soul and the ending of that is fairly basic and I think it comes up fairly often um, either in teaching or in practical application. Um, sometimes we don't think about the other, the other end of how we all get started that, that God miraculously uses a mother and a father to create a new soul and a new body and this new person because we are absolutely united as body and soul. It's not as though God had some bank of souls upstairs and then he starts doling them out. God uses the creative process that he created in order to create a new being who is one person, body and soul. And that understanding is, it is rather unique to Christianity and it comes into play in more ways than we might realize. Because you consider the, the counterpart. You consider the counterpart of the world around us that might think of you and me as simply this conglomeration of, of chemicals and, and organic material. Or maybe, maybe that you and I are simply the sum total of our thoughts and some biological accident in the history of millions upon billions of years. Or even the way that, um, that our medical studies often go, they narrow down the exact way a process works. And then they derive a medication that will affect that process, either to make it better, make it worse, go away, um, amplify it, whatever the case may be. And these medications interact with our biology. 
And we understand that, and that makes so much sense. It's so absolutely basic, but it misses the point that we Christians, that every person is one person, body and soul. And that's where, that's where even the world around us, the secular world around us, and modern medicine with all of their blessings, all the blessings that they bring to the table, um, might fall a little bit short. Because the world around us, as they are basically grasping and trying to figure out the, the glove that is enclosing the hand of God, they're trying to understand and perceive creation as God has created it, but without any presuppositions about that creator. As the world around us tries to understand how you and I work and function, what makes us tick, I think in a lot of that avenue, it becomes boiled down to making things as simple as they can be, and even too simple. Boiled down to a simple, here's the cause, here's the effect, and so here's the prescription, here's the effect, and you can go on your way. Here's the cause, here's the effect, you've got too much heartburn, here's the prescription, something to quell your heartburn, and you can go on your way. Fairly simple. And we have to work that way in order, to, in order to manage life in a sinful world and life where our bodies do things that they shouldn't be doing. But as a Christian, also recognizing that we aren't just a series of cause and effect, but we are also this special creation of God that isn't just the physical, biological, chemical components, but a soul created by God. That the world around us, they, they can use their science and their understanding to, to come to a conclusion of what? But they can't use that understanding to come to a conclusion of ought. That we understand what happens, and maybe in some cases even why that happens. But the question of what ought we to do is a question that the Christian is uniquely equipped to address. And where this comes into play, and, and why do we start with something even more basic than the most basic biology class, as we're talking about our Christian identity, the understanding that we are more than simple cause and effect, and that we are more complex than just the last in a, in a made-up mythical idea of evolution. The idea that we are complex creatures that God has created to be both body and soul with a spiritual component that it's not just the physical and the emotional, and we can treat all of it on a physical level and an emotional level, but there's also the spiritual component because God created us to be body and soul. And why does that matter? Because you and I, as, as creatures of God, we have emotions, and emotions are a gift from God. But sometimes those emotions lie to us. Have you ever had that experience, that feeling where you had that emotion of guilt? Where you're feeling guilty for something or it's, it's almost like you've left something undone even though you shouldn't have felt guilty for anything? Even though everything had been done? Even though um, 
it's kind of that, that nagging thought, that nagging feeling that maybe our emotions, our emotions can deceive us. Or even more so, that as creatures who are both body and soul, made up of biology and chemistry, there's emotions and then there's logic. And you and I all kind of fall on, on one, toward one end of the spectrum or the other. We're, we're very much in tune with our emotions and driven along by them. Or maybe you're somebody who likes to see things as black and white, pretty cut and dry, very logical, very reasonable. That's all kind of in the soup when we talk about how God created you, but most of all, how God wants us to live. That we are physical beings with emotions that God created, with rational, reasonable human brains that, yes, have been corrupted by sin, but are still logical and orderly. But most of all, that we have this spiritual component to us because God created us to be body and soul. And this spiritual component is the part that the world keeps grasping at and never quite understands. We talked about that a little bit last week, and you can find last week's sermon on our podcast. But the gist of it was that no matter your age, no matter when or where you grew up, you probably grew up with and are familiar with people who happen to be driven along by guilt and driven along by this incessant spiritual desire to make things right. Whether we're talking um, about older generations who are driven along by the guilt and the pressure of society, or kind of the, the middle set of generations driven along by this guilt that tries to find its remedy in, in discovering who I am, or the younger set driven along by guilt and trying to find a remedy by fixing the world around us. The world keeps grasping at and grasping for a, an answer that can only be answered as a spiritual answer. Because the limits of our human reason can tell us what. They can't tell us ought. What should we do? What should we not do? And that problem of the conscience, and that problem of the conscience being driven along, whether it's, whether it's correct and we are guilty of a particular, particular sin, or whether it's incorrect and that conscience tells us we're, we're doing something wrong and it's not actually against God's law, that conscience will be speaking. And that conscience, and the only way to deal with that conscience is with a proper understanding of your identity. If that all makes sense. That's basically what we're talking about today. When, when, when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And this whole concept of Christian identity is the concept of who are you? Not just, the, not just some introspection as who am I? Well, I'm body and soul. Um, I'm, I'm a physical being made up of organic, organic chemistry. But who are you? That is, who has God called you to be? And what is your purpose? And Paul writes that Christ himself is our peace. 
that we who once were far away from the Lord have been brought near to God. And if you keep reading in our, in our reading from here from Ephesians chapter 2, he, he just kind of piles up the, um, the images for where we are now and who are we. Because he's dealing with people, yes, who are body and soul. He's dealing with people who are driven along by guilt, who have a conscience that speaks. He's dealing with people who have human reason that tries to reason their way out of the Word of God. And he's dealing with people whose emotions sometimes get the better of them and sometimes deceive them. And so Paul has to repeat himself and reiterate himself, not because he's trying to argue us into faith, but to provide a greater opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring this picture home to you and to me. Who are you? He says, verse 13, you were once far away. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, this Jesus is our peace. Not just a stopping of warfare between God and us, but a peace of mind and a peace of heart, a peace of conscience. Verse 14, he made these two groups one by destroying the wall of hostility that divided them. And what he's talking about there is, um, is that at the, at the temple in Jerusalem, there's a wall dividing the, the Gentile worship area from the Jewish worship area. And Paul says, you know what, Jesus came, yes, as a Jewish man, but he came for all people to unite them in one church. And he goes on, verse 15, he created one new person out of the two, thus making peace. Not just peace between us and God, but peace among people. In a way that the world might still work toward, but will never achieve. Because the world knows what, the world doesn't know ought. And he goes on. He came and preached peace to those who are far away, those who are near, and as a result, verse 18, we have access to the Father by one Spirit. And this peace we have with God and the peace that we have with one another means that, yes, you have direct access through prayer to the throne room of God. I mean, um, you could, that's actually our scripture reading for next week. Uh, you have to come back next week for sure. Um, our first reading next week is the, the elders of Israel dining with the Lord after they ratified the covenant at Mount Sinai. And if you've never heard that before, make sure you, make sure you join us on YouTube or you check out the first reading next week. Because the reality is, as somebody who has been brought into peace with God, peace with one another, who has been brought near to God, that when you fold your hands or bow your head, or you simply say in your mind, you know, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. It's like confidently walking into heaven itself, and there is the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne, and he says, dear child, what is it that you want? I'm all ears. For you personally, individually, as though you were the only voice that he had to pay attention to. And he goes on. You notice how he just, he just piles up these, these pictures and these images because he's speaking to people who are body and soul. He's speaking to people who are physical creatures, whose emotions sometimes deceive them, whose logic sometimes leads them astray. And so he says, let me put it another way. Verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens and members of God's household. And there's two pictures there. That, that fellow citizen is your legal status that you legally have a right to, to be a, a member of God's country, of God's people. And members of God's household. Not just next-door neighbors, but God says that, yeah, you are a member of his family. You can call, he calls you his child. And as a result, you have an eternal inheritance in heaven. Going on to the next page, he just keeps piling up these, these descriptions. Verse 20, you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. That you and I are like individual bricks built on Jesus. And that you and I, yes, this is the same picture that he used before. Peace with God means peace with one another that the two bricks next to each other, even though they might not have associated otherwise, these two bricks have been called out of darkness into fellowship in the church of God. Verse 21. In him the whole building is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And that, that just continues the picture with a little bit more that each of us individually at peace with God, by virtue of your baptism, the Holy Spirit came and to live within your heart individually. And also, he comes to dwell among us as a group, congregationally, as this church that God is building to be a people who, who live as his people, to be a church that God has built and will continue to build until he returns. And he kind of says the same thing in verse 22. In him, you too are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what? You and I, body and soul, created by God through the miracle of a mom and a dad, soul and body created at the same time, living in a world that would assert you and I are simply physical creatures and maybe have an emotional or a mental health component. In a world that would just as soon want to treat the surface symptoms and make it all go away. In a world that has all the answers for what, but can never answer ought. You and I, body and soul, understanding the spiritual component of our lives that we have consciences that, that continue to speak, and whether they are truthful or not, God overwhelms the rejection by our conscience and the accusations of our conscience. He overwhelms them, not just in what he says today, but in how he says it. Not just in what he says, but in how he says it. He piles up again and again and again. He says, dear Christian, do you see how much your Lord cares for you? Dear Christian, do you see even why you are here? Dear Christian, do you see the fellowship that we share? Not just each of us doing our own thing um, and individually forgiven by God, but together being built into this household of God for God. And so the question, the question that we at least need to consider ever so briefly 
is have we been distracted, and really to what degree have we been distracted by our emotions? Have we been led astray by what we even might think in our own logical minds, and even to the point of dismissing the Word of God as simply this logical collection of, of Bible stories? Is it possible that, that you and I are perhaps even dealing with bodies that break down in a sinful world and looking for answers to emotional problems or even mental health crises that the world likes to think they have answers for, but they don't have the whole answer? I can't speak for you personally, but pastorally, I see it. And I know it's there. Because the way the Bible describes it is you and I, body and soul. Yes, we live in a world, in a sinful world, that, and that the sin that is within us will continue to affect our bodies. It'll affect everything from the air we breathe to the food that we eat to what our, our minds think and the thoughts that enter them or even try to find a nest there. The sinful world will and our sinful hearts will manipulate our emotions to try to tear at the fabric of our closest relationships. And even, even the minds of God's people, like mental illness is a real thing. And thank God for the medications that can help, help with that. But even that, like every other condition in life, is a result of sin. And if all we did was deal with the physical and the emotional and the mental, with all the what that the world has to offer, we totally miss out on the blessings of the ought that God gives in his word, of the reality that he talks about here. And he does so in a way that he piles up he piles up his pictures so that, so that our hearts can't speak back any longer. He piles up his pictures here in Ephesians chapter 2 so our minds can't say, well, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. God says, all right, how about this one? I got another one for you. And, and, and we like to say, well, but that's for somebody else. And God says, I've got another picture for you. Fellow citizens being built into a house. Peace with God, peace with one another. And that peace based on the hostility that Jesus himself carried in your place and mine. And there he gets to the heart of the matter, the spiritual reality, that your sin was carried by your Lord. That the guilt that you feel, or the guilt that you think you need to still carry, was carried by the Son of God himself. And he died for it, to make peace between you individually, personally, and God, and then you and those around us. And what would your life look like if you saw your loved ones as somebody for whom Jesus died, and you saw the reality of the peace that God has created for that relationship too? 
Because even, even in, our, in our own personal relationships, even as Christians, it's easy to be driven along by emotions and say, well, that person did this and, and I didn't do that. And it's easy to be driven along by logic. If they did this, then they, need to, then they deserve what they've gotten. Or I deserve the right to, to hold a grudge, whatever the case may be. In our personal relationships, it is far easier to try to simply talk about and listen to what our emotions have to say, what our logic has to say, what the doctor's diagnosis is, and say that's that, that's the bottom line, and there's nothing else that we need to talk about. And that's all the what. But God says ought. That he gave his son for you and for me to create peace that is both vertical between us and God and horizontal between us and others. And he overwhelms your conscience and mine. He overwhelms your emotion and mine with these pictures of the complete forgiveness, acceptance, love that he has for you on the basis of the death and resurrection of his son, which paid for the sins of all people of all time. Do you see how, for the Christian, discussion of physical ailments and emotional pain and mental illness is only complete when we see who we are as a person with a spiritual component as body and soul. That's why our congregation is, is already halfway through a fun drive for, um, that I talked about. I think it's in your bulletin today. Yeah, it's on page 9, the inside back cover of your bulletin today. Our congregation has already halfway met the goal of $5,000 that we're hoping to raise for the, the MAP program, which provides mental health support, access to a psychiatrist as needed who can prescribe things that would be needed, and most of all, the spiritual care in these ever-so-personal relationships and issues in a clinical setting that's available from the comfort of your own couch as close as your nearest smartphone. Because that's part and parcel of your identity, of our identity. That being built into this spiritual house <laughs> means that we, we are being built in order to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, in order to bring peace to those who, for whom Jesus died, and to provide opportunity, in some cases even, to, to talk about that peace in a very personal, individual way to somebody who may be dealing with that spiritual aspect of guilt or other emotions that are simply common to the human experience. Why? Because when Jesus died for you, he didn't just die for you so that, so that your soul can go to heaven. He died for you. He redeemed you body and soul so that even if it takes another thousand years after you've been buried or cremated, even if it were to take another thousand years, he will raise you from the dead to live before him in righteousness forever, 
body and soul. No more pain, no more guilt, no more sorrow, no more mixed up emotions or misleading logic. Just the reality that Christ himself is and always will be your peace. That you are and will be forever built into the spiritual house where God lives forever. That you are a citizen of a heaven that goes beyond this world. That you have fellowship in a family that began there at the font and continues for eternity. Amen. Amen.